Well, good day, friends. Welcome back for another podcast in our Discipleship Reframed series. Today, uh, we're titling this, uh, Where the Who Do We Start? as it relates uh, to discipleship. And we've been, over the last several weeks, we've really been taking some time to, to disrupt the ground of our old paradigms of understanding what discipleship was, and then really pointing our eyes to a new framework. First off, with that foundation being Jesus, knowing that all these things come out of who he is, how he walked, and, and his person and character. So, and that's what we've been focusing on, looking at two, um, looking at a two-lane diagram that we call it of this personal lane and program lane understanding that there's these two these two lanes that must run simultaneously to develop the disciple um, one of large groups of large programs of teaching and instruction but then other very intimate settings that were uh, that allow for very organic conversations to happen but then while you're traveling on the road inevitably things happen that require um, repair that require a health checkup a safety checkup whatever it might be and so the, the fact that we would need to off-ramp for a minute and um, spend some time in healing or deliverance or whatever may have gotten on us, just the dirt um, from driving a long journey. Um, these three areas are crucial in our step towards discipleship, and we have been working on creating um, that process. And today we want to move into um, the who of that. But really, John, I mean, as we look at this, it's overwhelming, um, the amount of stuff that we have to do, right, mm -hmm. or to think about. Well, we've, you know, I've talked, Brandon, to a couple, you know, folks in our discipleship group. And, and that, you know, when you add on the idea that we're encouraging people to think about, you know, head, heart and habits, you know, and we're thinking about outcomes and, and that people don't just stay at one level of development. They move from, you know, infant to toddler, we've, you know, to young adult and, and parent. And it's taking, you know, the relative, what I would call simplicity of discipleship. Church might be complex, but but the simplicity of discipleship into something that is maybe far more uh, comprehensive than we signed up for, and it can feel a little bit overwhelming. So, I want to just comment on that real briefly before we jump in. Is that is that um, I remember taking a a class on preaching in seminary, and I never had really preached before in a church, and and I mean all the background of different theories and different ways you can prepare a sermon, and it was like kind of overwhelming and uh and so but but the goal was that when you got done with the class you'd start small right you just okay start with where you are integrate some of those things but you had this bigger picture in mind and so <clears throat> i think you know, people can r relate to other maybe class experiences or uh, athletic team experiences where you thought it was really simple you know you you you're, I'm a t-ball coach, you know, for my six-year-old kids. And then we visit, you know, the Mariners, the professional baseball team. And it's going to be far more complicated with far more equipment and coaching and strategies. It's something that this is what we're talking about, Brandon, is something we grow into over time and that we start small. So that's what we're going to do today. And remember that Jesus, you know, came with this grand vision, but he started small. He started with the 12. That's the place where he developed culture. And so um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, that's good. And and today, for all those listening, we have a very dear friend of ours, Reg Overstreet, um, joining us, who's going to share a little bit about his journey with this. John, why don't you take a second and introduce Reg for, for all of us? Yeah, Reg is currently hailing from, uh, you know, back Midwest, Indiana. Welcome, Reg. Great to have you. And Reg and I go back a number of years, not quite a decade, I don't think, but darn close, where we've discovered a common passion for discipleship. And, and I, I've rarely read, I've rarely met somebody 
in the context of a local church so committed to being and making disciples. And so I'm really super thrilled uh, that you're with us today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate yeah. it. Would you tell us a little bit just about your journey of, uh, as a pastor, where did you pick up this passion for discipleship, mm. this experience, and maybe a little bit about how then it's translated and bled into your work. Um, first year, I guess, in, in, you know, in Lakewood and as a, a, a discipleship pastor, but now back as head pastor at Grace, at Grace Church. Yeah, well, I've been thinking about that question, and I was living in Florida, and I was called to go to seminary in 2001, so I moved across the country to Tacoma, Washington, and that, from what I understand, is a, around the time, give or take, where the heavily programmatic church model was starting to disintegrate, and I think through seminary and through some church activity, I started noticing uh, that this full reliance on programs was still pervasive, but there was a desire in the books I was reading and in the uh, discussions I was having to to do more with discipleship like Jesus did. And and um, it, and it's been developing, even snowballing ever since then. I don't know exactly when that started, 90s, 80s. I, I can't tell you exactly, but, um, but it has been uh, this emphasis for the good of the church, for the good of Christianity, the gospel. Um, has been snowballing ever since then. And so, but I remember in 2005, I graduated from seminary and became a licensed pastor at Lake City Community Church in Lakewood, Washington. And we were working on my title and I denied the title that had discipleship in it, past discipleship pastor or anything like that. Because even at that time, I was aware that I didn't want to pigeonhole discipleship into one person, uh, one leg of the church. Uh, no, this is for everybody. This is uh, every Christian, every follower of Christ. So my title for 15 years there was pastor of small groups and adult ministries, which was um, kind of involved just about everything. Uh, so, and it's only grown from there. And that's honestly, when I met you in Kingdom Story Ministries, uh, we connected very easily because what you were doing to grow the church of Christ in discipleship resonated with me. I had some other influences and experiences too, but um, I love the cohort that we're involved in now seeing, and it's unlocking me as a senior pastor now to unlock that mystery of how to bring balance between programs and relationships. I mean, true balance, like 50, 50, not 80, 20, not 90, 10, um, or yeah. So it's great. That's where I am. To, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of the story. Well, that gives us gives a, a good overview of, well, thank you for sharing your story, Rich, and, and just to have somebody who has already, you know, almost 20 years been wrestling with this question is, there's no easy answers, right? We're in it, we're in the mess of this, but this is, it's so good to be in the journey with you, so. Yeah, Reg, thank you for sharing all of that. And, you know, so those of you that are listening, if, you, if you're picking up a theme here from John's introduction, a little bit of what Reg is sharing here, the heart of what today's theme is and the session for this is about starting with a few. Um, and I, I know that's going to take a little bit to unpack. And so, John, we have a, a, you know, a diagram of triangles, right, that helps us explore this. And why don't you share? Yeah, so if, if you can imagine uh, um, a, a triangle where, again, the, the, there's three levels, and uh, we've all seen triangles like that, and, and this triangle that I'm going to share is, in a sense, the, 
the model of, I think, the typical American church and uh, perhaps even churches around the world can relate to this. Um, and that is, uh, and it, it starts with the, the crowds, that the, that the first object of our attention is to go into the largest setting possible and to do what's necessary to bring, to nurture, and to hold the attention, you know, of the crowds. And the, and the assumption is that if that happens, that there will be people from that large gathering who get an initial taste of something good, of something divine, that they will want to be participants. Okay, sign me up for that small group, Reggie, for that men's ministry, for that next level of personal growth that that can't happen in the largest setting but it's still programmatic and but I'm still receiving so we go from the Sunday service for example into the small groups or the uh, other programs and their participants and the hope is in the top level you know we know there'll be a fewer as we go forward that there will be some eager emerging disciples that will say hallelujah i want to be a leader i want to give myself fully to this i want to be dedicated um and that will be you know that the pinnacle of the experience the problem is when you think about you know there are some problems with this model and that is that, that the crowds become very consumeristic. They have, they, there is no obvious sense of disciples that are modeling that life while they are being drawn in at the initial level. And so what happens is, is that we just expect the pastors to continue to produce these experiences, large group and participation. And why do I need to take the next step of being a disciple since everything's kind of being done for me? And then when I look around, it looks like we're all coming to get something. And I'm, of course, I'm speaking in hyper language and, and to make a point. But you think about Jesus, if he had started with the crowds, stayed with the crowds, done the healing, done the amazing teaching. Yeah, there would have probably emerged a group that was regularly with him or wanted to do a little bit more. But would he have ever, when he died, had some that had caught the vision, had laid down their life on behalf of giving this away to others? I doubt it. And so that's kind of the first. And then the flip side of this, of course, you know, is that Jesus actually started after his initial gatherings selecting a few disciples where he created an alternative culture of discipleship with that community that drew other people to want to be participants the 70 right we're in the inverted pyramid now and from the and it was their ministry together to collect to gather to inspire um, to minister to the crowds so now those people became uh, strategic, the disciples and the 70, to doing the ministry. They were growing. And now the crowds can watch active disciples look at their lives and be inspired to say, I want that too. And so it's a, so that's, i happy to open that up to comments to, you know, to you uh, both in terms of how you see this functioning in the life of the church today. This, this temptation to start large instead of what like Jesus to start small. Red, do you have a comment on that? Yes. So the the thing that first penetrated my my head, my thick head, on this was, yeah, evaluating first what Jesus did, and we know Jesus was the Son of God in the flesh, and His words are infallible, and they are absolute truth. But His methods need that same consideration as well. And like you said, He didn't start a big congregation. And if he had, it wouldn't have gone anywhere past him. What he did was 
look what he did. He had the three inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He had the 12, and he spent a bulk of his time with them, the majority of his time with them. And then the, the fact of compound math, compound exponential math comes in, where if you start with one disciple, and if that disciple makes two disciples in the first year, and they each make two disciples the next year, uh, what is it, 30 years? You get to 7 billion you get population in 30 years. And we've had 2,000 years, and there's still almost half of the world's population that's never heard of the gospel. So, you know, something isn't working. We're not following Jesus' methods. So look closely at Jesus' methods, and, and you start to see uh, the value of starting small and how, yeah, it's counterintuitive on the first level, on the surface level. You think mass producing would have more fruit, but it doesn't take much thinking and much math to realize if you start small in just a matter of years, now you've developed this whole organization, uh, exponential disciple making, and now, you, now you've started a movement. So yeah. those things started making sense. And then over the years, I have implemented them. <laughs> well, that that would be a next convert, you know, a next question to raise, uh, Reg, is, is it's one thing to know it, it's another to implement it, you know. And uh, one of the things we wanted to have a discussion on here is a little bit is, what are the, you know, what are the things that would keep a pastor, you know, or a t- pastoral team from um, from flipping the paradigm, so to speak, you know, I think if we rec, you know, I think we had the first, maybe the very first temptation. It's hard to change. People don't <laughs> like change, and we have inherited a way of doing this that is long embedded in the history, you know, the traditions of the church here and around the world. Uh, let's let's. What are some other roadblocks that you all have that you have seen in your church experience or in your church leadership experience that you'd want to highlight? What keeps us from starting and staying, you know, keeping a focus on the small? I think there are, you know, there are two things that I think that I've seen. Um, and I, I think they, they kind of go together. I mean, first off, I think there's a honestly a lack of being discipled in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so what is what is known and what is aware, it, it, you know, which what we inherited, you know, was a group mentality. And we're really good at it. Um, but we're not really good at, at, at one-on-one. And so then the, that, the next layer, I think of that is the vulnerability it now takes um, to be at a one-on-one level. Um, I think what I, you know, from a pastoral level, when I'm preaching, my life is my life still, even then I, you only get to hear what I share, um, <laughs> but you, <laughs> but you get to know me and come over to my house and see a messy house versus a polished sermon. Um, those are two different two different realities of which to live in and experience God. And so I think those are some things that I've seen that have, it, for me personally, I've seen it with others, but for me personally, that would that have made temptation to move away from the small um, a, a reality. So, so one of the questions could come is how many pastors have experienced transformation through uh, ongoing relationship of a mentor? someone discipling them. And if you have, I'm part of that, I'm hearing you say, Brand, if we haven't experienced that, then we're going to tend to reproduce what we have experienced. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. And so, uh, Reg, anything you want to add here? What keeps, you know, what are some of the barriers within us as leaders outside of us externally that might um, keep us from starting small? Yeah, there are so many and, and they all attack at once and it's very complex there's so many. Let me just off the top of my head, 
Brandon nailed a good one. If you've never experienced discipleship, even if you have though, now you, now you at least know by experience that, well, that's how I've grown the most was through that one-on-one way more than classes or anything else. Um, but even then uh, a variety of things, the culture, uh, Western civilization being very individualistic, not a strong group culture, but a strong individual culture. Um, so that's, I don't know, that's just very private, personal. Um, as one of the guys in the cohort says, it's easy. It's easy <laughs> to try to mass produce disciples. Uh, another Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, give us the job description of a pastor. It's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And um, I've been rejecting the clergification of the church. Uh, for years. Uh, somehow our culture has developed, we hire you to marry and bury us and, and do the chaplain, you know, cha- you know, uh, that kind of stuff over us. Don't, don't have us do any of it. <laughs> the culture, um, of course, if we do, instead of equip, if we do all the work of the ministry, um, we get all the accolades from that. Yes. Um, we're, you look at any pastor's job description and it's a list of things to do. There's not equipping isn't on there. So we, so we're trained, we're hired on that basis. We're um, rewarded on that basis. Evaluated. Evaluated on that basis. Um, I I mean, I'm just getting started. There's, (laughs) there's so many other reasons that we wouldn't want to start small. Well, and then another temptation is if you work on the big, uh, crowd and bringing people in that that brings more money and it brings more prestige uh at its worst you're building your own kingdom well that's it that it's that's at its worst at its best hey it looks successful and we're able to afford you know things and more staffing uh but our lives change our lives change are people active in the in the work of the ministry no and so um we've got to figure it out there there are others too yeah, no, I, I like what you're saying, right? What it prompts me to think is it's a little bit of Jesus's journey of, you know, his baptism and his temptation. He was so tempted to just be a crowd pleaser, you know, to, in light of our conversation. And, and yet he knew his vision was so clear that if this was going to reproduce, he was going to have to start small, still mm-hmm. relate to the crowds, but have to start small. So I wonder if there is a, a, what is it in the, the culture of a, of a past, of a, you know, a church leaders that reminds us of the vision over and over again, right? If we, if we, if we're, if we're not convinced about discipleship and discipleship culture, and it's not being reinforced, we get, like you say, get sucked in to what always has been and what people really want. How many people are saying to you, please disciple me, please stop doing progress <laughs> and, yeah. you know, make me the leader. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. So it's, it's, it's a tension. So this, that's good. No. So that, I think recognizing that, that it sounds obvious, but it's really hard. And let's, let's take a look, you know, Brandon, where are we going next? I think we're going to start exploring, right? What does it practically mean then to start small? Yeah. Once we, I mean, we've, we're identifying very clearly that we need to go with a few, but who the few? Um, who the few are those that we can look at, especially as we're looking at leaders. Um, um, and so, John, one of those places you identified, and, and rightly so, our um, uh, new life in the church I attend, our mission statement is to advance God's kingdom first in ourselves. And so the first place you have starting here um, is is you, right? Um, say more about that. Well, I was mainly thinking of you, Brandon, not myself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> really, it all starts with you, Didi. At least in our organization, that's how I looked at it. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know, I think one of the dangers, you know, of becoming a shepherd, that's where the word pastor comes from, right? Is that you stop seeing yourself, first of all, as the sheep. And that, you know, you go to church, but you may not worship because you're wondering if the ushers are, you know, got everybody seated. And, the, and you know, in other words, uh, the mindset that I'm a child before I'm a parent, you know, that I am a, I'm a discipler before I'm a disciple before I'm a disciple, I think is crucial. One of the things I just think about is like in my parenting, I think it was more important who I was than what I said as a parent. In other words... To, that I was embodying the things I wanted my kids to be excited about or to do. And so I think that that's in many ways what I think about it. An active, growing head pastor sets the pace, sets the tempo for everything else. If it's just words, but you don't sense it's real. So do, they, do I have a mentor in my life? You know, am I living out the things I'm asking others? Do I, do I have groups of people that know me and are walking with me? When I need healing, have, do I know how to access it? Have I experienced freedom in my life? Am I growing in that? Am I intentionally discipling a few others? You know, it just do I have practices in my life that are part of my routines and rhythms that I can, I, hey, I'm working on this. You know, I'm in the journey myself. Seems to me that that's super important. And I'd love to hear what you all think about that. Yeah, I, one of the best pieces of mentorship I got years ago was no matter how big your ministry gets, no matter how busy your schedule gets, always have somebody you're pouring yourself into one-on-one three or four um, always. And so that has been one of my goals for years and years uh, to always have that in my life. And now as my understanding of all these things have grown, I see where that came from, but I've seen the value of that. And, and it is, that's some of the most satisfying and, and fruitful stuff pouring into one or two at a time even while you're talking to the crowds. Yeah. Yeah. And what would be interesting to ask was, cause you're a part of a, a uh, you've been a part of a church for years and, 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 and one now that honors the preaching of the word, right. Mm -hmm. the, the, the value of teaching. And uh, is there in your experience, a temptation for pastors to in some ways skip over the value of them living out what they're doing instead of, you know, in other words, to move to, teaching and preaching on things that maybe they are not experiencing in the present. Are you, are you tracking with me? So you say discipleship's important, but you don't have three people you're discipling. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you're, yeah. uh, whatever it is, what, it, why are pastors tempted, you know, to, to not live into the very things that they're asking others to consider? Well, that in, I think I see where you're going. That could that could apply to everything, and that's why the qualifications for elders, deacons, um, overseers are so robust because you do need to be exemplary in all of those, practicing all of those. Um, why aren't we? Well, that's that's character stuff, and that's that's why those uh, that's why those qualifications are character qualifications. That that's that's important. You've got to be modeling the things that you that you are teaching. And so that's a, that's the right place to start is with you. Another quote that I, that I heard is a church will never outpray its pastor. <laughs> and you, I mean, you've got to be praying pastor. You've got to be. And uh, I told that to one pastor years ago and he said, Oh, 
our church is in trouble. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a big deal. Your church is in trouble. So, uh, but that's the kind of, it's character. You've got to, you've got to be following Christ in the way he says in order for you to, in good conscience and, and, and to have in faithfulness and to ever have fruitfulness um, to preach it to others. Well, we're certainly, you know, not at, I'm not suggesting that pastors are perfect in every area. I don't, I mean, none of us can do, but I think people, if I know that my head leader is in the journey, wrestling with the, you know, the very same things I'm wrestling with, there is an unconscious energy, you know, that's transmitted and, and something in me that mm -hmm. wants, want, wants that. And so telling our story and being in the journey, you know, and taking seriously our own the effort it's it's you can imagine how easy it would be for a shepherd you know to to stop thinking about their own needs because the needs of the sheep are so many but in the long run the best thing that the sheep shepherd can do is take care of themselves alongside the sheep right and so uh, so that's so maybe the question just here is how much effort you know how many um uh, environmental realities do i have that nurture inspire sustain me in a vital role of just being a disciple of Jesus and then sharing that with others. Um, you know, the second one, Brandon, is is kind of like, so Jesus picked his 12. So who are those that we would normally pick? And the idea here was maybe they're our core leadership team. And so maybe your elders, whatever that's called in your denomination, in some ways you have a you have a small no matter what size your church you have a small community of inner circle people that are the most invested in the future of the of the organization and its welfare and it seems to me like that's a place we need to start rather than trying to implement something across the whole church okay we all need to be in small groups or we whatever it is and uh, I'd love for you, Reg, to comment on maybe some experiences that you've had either where you didn't do that and it failed or where you are, what you've learned in the area of like when something discipleship comes new to your church, how have you leaned into this idea of starting with your inner core team? Yeah, that's definitely been a, a huge, huge question over the years. As a small groups pastor, as an associate pastor, uh, one, a, a huge, very helpful motto was, uh, we had small group coaches that took a while, some failed attempts to develop a coach team, but when you have a level of coaches where you're not just doing it all yourself, once you have more than about nine small groups, you can't do it all yourself relationally. Um, so then the motto is you small group pastor do to the, do for two and for the coaches, what you want them to do and for the leaders. Coach's motto is, I do to and for the leaders what I want them to do to and for the members. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's just simple Exodus 18 stuff there, Jethro speaking to Moses, and it, and it works. And so that gave me the, the freedom and the, the knowledge to pour into those coaches and then tell them the same thing. You pour into those leaders. And boy, I saw the, the fruit of that. Uh, every every member was cared for in the groups because of that very thing right there. Yeah. Um, now that was in a, as an associate pastor, as a lead pastor now for 15 months, I'm doing the same thing with my staff and with the elder board. We're choosing the right books. We're choosing the right relationships, the right growth to to do that very thing. Mm. So let me, that's 
So maybe again, an example. So you're in a new church and let's just say we can even create a real or an imagined scenario. Let's just say that you had, okay, let's just say that you had, you came to a church where there's no small groups. You know, the people are just, they're coming to church. They're excited about what the pastor has to say. And, uh, and you look at, okay, the landscape of, of uh, you've got a core staff team. How would starting with a few, you know, translate into what you would do first? Would you try, if you didn't try to start a small group ministry with everybody right away, where would you start in light of how you see Jesus starting with a few? Yeah, well, we had a coaches small group. You can have your staff kind of as a pilot group, um, a tur turbo group. You, you start with a bunch of leaders, influencers, and then say, okay, go replicate what we just did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So why would that be? Now, you've done that in the past. How have yeah. you found that? Talk a little bit about your experience there in terms of why that was effective and how it and how it moved out from that small to maybe the larger setting. Well, again, it starts with that. It starts with that vision that goes more than just this year. See, see two, three, five years down the road, how how this exponential uh, ministry is going to going to turn out. And then you handpick. You yeah. You have to have the vision, and you got to cast that vision. We're going to have this experience for the purpose of. Now you going to replicate it? Ah, it's just so Jesus-like. It's it's an easy sell, really. And then think it through. Um, pour into those few people with that in mind that they're going to go and, and do likewise. Second Timothy two two, mm -hmm. uh, same same exact thing. Uh, this is this is Jesus' template for his church. Um, but then, you know, if, if, if you can get enough people to trust you, your influencers and leaders, staff, elders, whatever that, whatever that is, uh, it won't take long before you're celebrating this two, three, four years down right. as a, as a whole culture has changed and an organization has grown. Now, I like that. <clears throat> you can almost imagine your staff experiencing, like they let's say they never experienced a small group and all of a sudden they, the value of being honest and open and accountable and praying together. And that they say they never done that. And then they celebrate that and they tell that story to their friends and you highlight it at the church service, you know, That's and right. now you're creating desire. You're creating possibility because the people that they're looking up to are experiencing something that they haven't. And so it's a, uh, it is like you said that multiplication over two or three, four years. You have to have the vision of, how, of replication. Um, yeah, what my right, my first year being a small groups pastor, 2005. I got some great mentorship from uh, an experienced small groups pastor, and he said, "You figure out your vision." And you, so I inherited several groups that were stuck in some really weak habits. Um, with no vision, no pastoral oversight they had ever had. Uh, you figure out what you want to see in the future and then start all, all your new groups with that. And then you're only celebrating those groups that um, that fruit that you want to see replicated because what you celebrate gets repeated. Okay, so and don't and don't worry about the rest. Okay, so I have to, I just have to tell you that's exactly what I did. And uh, I'm doing the, the trainings my first year. And I had some of the old guards, some of the old groups come up and say, I mean, I can remember, I can remember the, the conversation. Uh, we don't want, we don't want this. And I said, <laughs> what? Uh, any of it. <laughs> we don't want to do any of it. Okay. So it was that group in particular 
it was, uh, I just kept right on with the course. I, the new groups I poured the most into, let the old groups just kind of do what they always did. It was, it was probably a year and a half later, we had all these new groups, we're celebrating mm. the new culture with the vision that we, we wanted to go forward. And that same group all came to me. <laughs> they didn't even remember that conversation a year and a half earlier. They came to me begging, like, how do we, how do, we do this in our group? How, how do we tra- transfer our, change our group? And, uh, oh, it was just, it just worked so incredibly well. Well, your example, Reg, is good at, at so many levels, but I, I think about not everybody has the option of coming and starting with a clean slate. Introducing something new into an existing church doesn't mean that you wipe off everything. You may have to start with a few. The start with That's a few right. idea there is your most eager, your most ready. It could be your church leaders, or it could just be those who are, you know, are ready for something new and the trust that the best thing you can do for the whole is to start small. Yeah. And that's what you just modeled and, and let those who are resistant to watch. That's good. Well, and, and seeing this, you know, this concept is not super foreign to us. I was going to exhort our, you know, the, those listening, the leadership listening to be radical, to take your staff, you know, to, to, to work on discipleship, but you can easily look over at two, um, two simple businesses, both Starbucks and Chick-fil-A, that when somebody becomes a part of it, the discipleship that is necessary for them to understand the culture of Starbucks and of Chick-fil-A models this idea of starting with a few that the head person that's over Chick-fil-A has his vision, which is now passed down to his trainers, those trainers of which travel to different locations to train those locations to have the right language, to have the right um, culture that is meant for that. And now you have one of the highest producing businesses that doesn't work on Sunday simply because of the culture that was developed by starting with a few um, working with your leadership um, and creating that. And then, you know, I mean, as what would it be like for, you know, pastors to create that kind of culture with their leadership, at least those, those that are staff members that would be onboarded into a culture, just right. like anywhere else um, in the business world that we accept readily. Um, what if Jesus is calling us to the same kind of radical, um, you know, discipleship and culture within our, our, our organizations with this and starting with a few. Hmm. That's good. And I wonder how, you know, from both of your experience, because Brandon, you're doing stuff in your church, you know, the third, the third uh, start small idea, you know, it was once you get past your formal leadership, your staff or your small group leaders or your team leaders, it's looking for those people that are most ready for your attention, right, to give and to start with them. And again, in Starbucks, you have managers you know the trainer is going to start with the designated manager it's a formal position okay but what about those informal uh, the people that maybe don't even have that role yet um or or just you know how do we look for people and what are we looking for to invite in that first group you know what i mean that for that 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 earlier wave so that they can become examples how, can you give an, as a, an idea wow. of what you look for and how you find those people yeah, and I, I don't think I would deviate too far from my original example. I mean, those that are ready to become managers actually show a, a commitment level that is that is ready for that. You're going to find as you're well, the key thing you said is we need to look for. So, I mean, Jesus 
was walking along the, the Sea of Galilee and he saw Peter and then there, I mean, he, he went looking for them. He recognized something in them and he called it out. And so, I mean, that's if we're sitting there waiting for somebody to come beat down the door, most likely they're sitting there in the chair waiting to be asked. Um, and so that we I think first off, we have to be able to see who's who's devouring this, who's kind of chomping at the bit, who's asking the questions, who seems mm-hmm. to be present all the time um, without really asking, you know, I mean, you'll, you, there's there's ways of being to identify those that are chomping at the bit, you know, so to speak. Um, and really, we just have to look for it. If our eyes are constantly looking to care for the crowd, we're going to miss the eager one that that's wanting to come up and help us. And so we have to be able to um, look with both eyes, you know, and and to see those that are that are eager and ready. And that's, you know, what we, we try to do that. Those that have been asking questions, um, trying to find places in ministry, we, we don't have a lot to offer, but we'll offer something just to get people started and into it and into relationship and um, into that discipleship it can happen anywhere, even if it's not the ministry that they, right. they wanted. Um, but we, we try to get them plugged in as quickly as we can, um, not to just get work done, but because we want to see that passion, you know, continue to, to, to grow. Um, through that and others that just kind of like Reg, if they're the the old guard that don't, you know, that don't want to change, then, you know, go do what you, what you do. We're going to, we're going this way. And hopefully one day you'll, you'll, you'll see it and catch up. Well, <laughs> you know, they'll come, hopefully they'll come around. Yep. Yeah. That's a little bit of our story, Brandon. You know, we had that interest meeting, that program and was it seven or eight years ago and you were first one at the table with your, you know, your interest shined <laughs> up. It didn't take me long in our kingdom story experience to recognize that there was a level of intensity and intentionality and interest with you. And that's why I reached out to start meeting with you regularly one-on-one and very quickly said, you know, I'm going to give you more responsibility, spend more time with you as a way, not only for your benefit, but to model that for everybody else in the group that, you know, so that kind of happened in some ways in our relationship and just, it wasn't a formal thing you came in with, but it was recognizing and inviting you and uh, boy you flourished you know in that context so yeah I mean so as we just kind of take a summary recap it's been I mean what we've been talking about here is to really that Jesus focused on the few you know as, as we look at his model he did do some preaching to the masses but where he poured his emphasis and time uh, was really into the few knowing what that would result in knowing the onslaught and the assault that they would come up against. It was necessary um, that he had that type of, um, that type of relationship and involvement with them at at such a small level, but then really beginning to start with where, where's the, where the, who do we start? And part of that is, is first off is with us and making sure that we're in our own intentional discipleship journey, because very easily we can get caught into teaching about discipleship rather than showing experiential discipleship and it flowing from us from a place of um, of fullness. Uh, For those of us that are leaders and working with organizations to move into working with our staff, just as I said, of really bringing a culture with those that are there eight hours a day, uh, 40 hours a week, if pos- if that's what it is, or part-time, however it is, you have a large influence with them to create a culture um, that then could go into your congregation. And then mm-hmm. thirdly, um, having eyes to see that you would be able to look out against the crowd and to say, who's ready to take the next step? Um, and am I ready <laughs> and available and willing to invite them in to say, come, you know, follow me, um, as I follow Jesus in order to go there. So it's been amazing to talk with you guys. Is there anything else that either of you would um, would like to share as we come to the conclusion of our podcast? John, Reg, anything? What you said, uh, what you described, Brandon, I know a lot of business people say that you're finding, you're looking for people that are humble, hungry, and smart. 
<laughs> that's, that's great. If they're humble, they can be a team player. They're not arrogant and hungry, of course. Uh, you can work with anybody who's hungry, wherever they are in their spiritual life. And then smart, I would put competency and character on that mm-hmm. in the Christian world, uh, then pour into them. And anyone who's leading or teaching on any level, any level of leadership, whatever you're doing, just grab one person or a couple people and, and show them what you're doing, pour into them, multiply, multiply. And, uh, and that's exactly what Jesus did. John 6, 66 has always been a key verse in my mind. Jesus let people walk. He let people walk away and he focused on the people who were ready to be poured into. And that's how the movement and the uh, multiplication really takes off in your church. Yeah. Mm. So I think, yes, Reg, and I think that, that discipleship uh, as an intentional, holistic, lifelong process that we've kind of defined it as is not something that everybody in your church is going to embrace. And for someone who's a pastor who thinks all my sheep are the same, we got to take care of all of them equally, that mindset is not helpful. At the same time, I would say I wouldn't want people to hear this podcast and say, well, then we really don't need worship services or we don't need programs where gathered. No, no, no. And we're not saying that. We're trying to reframe, though, those programs in light of the overall commitment around discipling a few who then model and infect and invite others from the crowd to step forward from a rather open, non-committal membership, I just have to show up on Sunday, now I can just show up online, to really stepping into a journey with Jesus that will include programs as well as one-on-one relationships. So this is a challenge to revisit our commitment to, you know, quote-unquote church services and programs, especially after this COVID experience, in light of how does it fit with a commitment to a few, starting there, staying there and then letting it bleed out and multiply from there. Yeah. Amen, John. Remember the goal is to become like Jesus. We need to figure out those things that will help us do that. We're not there for the service. We're there to become like Jesus and whatever that requires in the program or personal lane is where we need to move um, in order to do that. But remember that even all three of us here are just disciples trying to find our place in God's story. We're in this journey with all of you, and we just seek to bring what we have out of the experience that we've had um, with the Savior of the world. So we thank you for joining us today. Reg, thank you for for sharing your insight and all that you've learned with that. Um, It's been good to be with you guys. Um, So we thank you for joining us. And we thank you, Brandon, for being here. Yep. Yep. And we'll see see you guys later. Yep.